My name is Clint Callahan. I am a licensed clinical social worker and life coach. Can you tell me about your own mental health journey? Sure. Uh, let's see. Well, actually, it started a long time ago. Um, I was bullied a lot as a kid from when I was about seven until all the way up through high school. I was bullied a lot by my friends, where it was my friends in the group were bullies, but my friends individually were my friends. So it made it extra confusing because how could I be one way? How could you be one way with me this way and another way with me that way? Excellent. Right. So that's what began my love of psychology and social work and therapy and all these kind of things, because it allowed me to really begin to understand that 98% of the time, it's not about me. It's about them. But thanks to all the bullying, it made me made me depressed, anxious, people pleasing, and basically feeling like I had to be a chameleon with everybody around me. And it took me about 38 years to unwind all that stuff to just be myself and realize that being myself is enough. Yeah. How does it feel when you help people? How does it help your own mental health? I get as much out of providing therapy as I do from, uh, from the people that I change that I help their lives change because ultimately it comes down to all of us going through this world. We're all making it up as we go along. We're all trying to figure out what's going on, how it's going to work. Is it going to work? Will it work? Looking at the next person saying, well, they have it all figured out because look how great their life is. But the thing is, is that that's not the case. All of us, when we wake up in the morning, are trying to figure it out till the time we go to bed at night. And then we repeat it the next day. But seeing that light bulb moment when someone goes, wow. I don't have to live like this anymore. I don't have to feel stuck in a hole, stuck in a bad relationship, stuck in a bad job. I don't have to do that. The answer is no, you don't have to do that. If you take the time and you make those small changes every day to change your negative thinking, to get better psychological tools, to be more psychologically minded and just mindful of what you are telling yourself, because most of the suffering that we create is created by ourselves and what we tell ourselves about whatever situation we happen to be in. I know for me, I started uh, feeling like myself, like in my mid thirties. So it was yeah. a, a long time, but for you, how did that feel like that aha moment? Well, it my aha moment was not a fun aha moment because my aha moment came about four years after the suicide of my mother. She, she had a really bad um, uh, autoimmune disorder and she ended up taking her own life. And so I got out of social work and therapy. I was still kind of doing it, but I was out of it mostly for about three to four years. And then my, then my real estate business that I created collapsed because this was around 2008. So all that oh, yeah. fell apart. So then I had to move in with my in-laws with our newborn son. And I had to make a choice in that moment to either stay on the path that I was on, which I was miserable, I was depressed, I was anxious, I was burned out. I was all the things that I never wanted to be at all. And so I had to start making a change. And so that's when I started coming up with the life coaching program that I'm working on having people do now, the 1% per day transformational system, because I figured out that by, by taking 15 minutes a day to look at myself, to monitor myself, to follow myself throughout the course of a day to make sure that I was on track made me go, oh, I'm off track. I 
basically the way my stuff works today for me is I take five minutes in the morning to meditate and journal. And then I take five minutes during lunch to meditate and journal. And then I do that before bed. And what those are is those are check-in points for me to say, am I getting from the day that I set out to do in the morning at lunch or am I off track? If I'm off track, what do I need to do to get back on track? And then as I get to the end of the day, I look back at my whole day and say, okay, was I on track or how did I step off track or what way did I step off track? And then I look at that and I figure out how to make those small adjustments for the next day so I don't keep repeating the same pattern over and over and over and over because that's what we do. Human beings are pattern machines. We get stuck in behaviors, stuck in patterns. We hate change. But yet, if it's little change, we tend to be more tolerant of it. So if you can stack those little changes, it ends up in this big transformation. In about 100 days, you can change your entire life if you take the steps to do it, if you have the right tools to do it. And there's a billion different tools out there. There's so many different psychological tools to do that. But really, it always comes back to taking that time to be mindful of what you want, where you are, what you're feeling, what the story is in that moment, and ask yourself, is this story true? Or is this story a lie that I'm telling myself because it it keeps me on the same track of this behavior that I'm in? And by doing those things, it allows you to slow down, take that breath and go, I don't want to do this anymore. Every time I take that route, it always leads to bridge out. And then I find myself falling off of a cliff. Uh, my wife always talks about uh, me. Uh, I should uh, do journaling, like you said, yes. that you do it. Uh, how does journaling help you? Sure. So I'll give you the scientific reason of why I love journaling, yeah. but then I'll tell you my reason of why I love journaling. I can't really separate the two, but I'll try. So I love journaling because the way the human brain works is this is the logic part of our brain over here. This part is the feeling part of our brain. What journaling does is it takes these feelings that we're having, forces you to pull it over to logic so you can make it make sense on the page. Because when you don't do that and you try to journal by just letting it dump onto the page, most of the time it's emotions. And most of the time, the first thing you do is just a whole bunch of curse words because you're not happy about what your brain is telling you. So it's like all the curse words in your brain come out onto the page. And then you actually begin to start writing because it finally breaks through the gap. And so for me, that's what journaling does for me. It allows me to take this story that my feeling part of my brain is telling me. And the story we often tell ourselves is a lie. And it's a lie because you have to remember, human beings, all we've done for the last 185,000 years since the last major evolutionary change is survive. If you really look at history, 5,000 years is how long we've had the written word. 5,000 years. And then you jump to the last 200 years is when we, in America, when we got out of the Wild West. Right. Then you jump to the Industrial Revolution, which is about 120 years ago. Then you jump to the Computer Revolution, which was about 60, 70 years ago. Then you jump to smartphones, which was about 15, the internet, internet, which was about 30 years ago, and then smartphones, which was about 20 years ago, and now AI, which was about a year ago. Right. 
And so if you think about it, we are not that far out of being wild nomadic people where we are used to living in groups of 25 to 50 people. So that's the thing is our body is pre-programmed for survival. And the problem with survival is the way our brain interprets survival is everything wants to kill me. Everything wants me dead. As long as I'm in this room, I'm safe. But the moment I leave, everything wants me dead. That's the way our body reacts to everything in the world. And so, but this knows better. And it also doesn't know better simultaneously. And that's the problem. Because we're constantly fighting because 80% of the information we get into our system comes from the neck down. But yet we rely on this 20% to filter it all properly and make it so that we're not consciously anxious, depressed, freaked out, having trauma symptoms, all the different things. So that's why being able to slow down, monitor yourself, recognize the thoughts and the story that your brain keeps telling you allows you to then make these changes in no time at all. Because all it takes is a bit of mindfulness. And the amazing thing is, is the more that you begin to do a journaling process and you begin to manage your emotions, the more that you're able to look at the world and go, hey, I recognize that. I know what that is. I know that that's a lie. I don't need to do that. I don't need to feel that way. I can take a breath and I can just stop feeling that way. Because I know what the actual story is. That is not a real story. That is me saying, I'm afraid that if X happens, Y is going to happen. Because the problem with survival is the end of the story for any survival story is, and I'm going to end up dead. That's the thing, because that's what survival is trying to get us to not do, right? Not end up dead. So you think about, okay, I'm going to go to work. My boss is angry with me. Oh, no, that means I'm going to probably lose my job. And then if I lose my job, then my wife is going to leave me. And then if my wife leaves me, I'm going to lose the house. And then if I lose the house, I'm going to end up on the street. And then if I end up on the street, I'm going to end up dead. Wow, that escalated really, really fast. But that's what happens. That's where our brain goes. And that's what we, why we get stuck into the fight, flight, freeze, or fold response consistently. You talked about it a little bit with uh, your your uh, coaching. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell me about that 1% method? Sure. So basically what the 1% method is, is the course that I've laid out is a course that takes you through a bunch of different modules that teaches you to become just what I call more psychologically minded, basically more mindful about your day. But it gives you specific tools that you can use during the course of your day so that you can now take a step back, recognize what's going on, analyze the story, have specific things set up so that you can stop the story from continuing, so that you can take that breath, slow down, and completely realign the way you perceive what's going on. Because ultimately, it comes down to our perception is what creates our reality. And our perception is designed and created by the story we tell ourselves. So the more mindful we are, the more we're able to have tools to stop the story, to analyze the story, to say no to the story, to change the story in the middle of it, we then don't get stuck into those old patterns again and again and again. Because life is nothing but a series of patterns. If you think about the last week of your life, 
You woke up probably around a certain time. You did a certain thing right after you woke up. You had breakfast in a certain way. You got dressed with certain things on certain days. Every day is a, is a specific pattern. And that's because for us, it's comfortable. You don't have to think about it. You don't got to worry about it. It's automatic, right? And because it's automatic, that's the problem. The automatic, this is about breaking the automatic thought process that we get sucked into, that we then believe about ourselves, that we then take out into the world. Because the way feelings work is it goes, feelings and thoughts are temporary, but actions and reactions can be forever. So that's the piece you need to remember before you do anything, before you say anything, before you react to anything. That's what happens. It creates this pattern because you go up to someone and you tell them that they look ugly, right? You go say that to somebody. Okay, now they're going to have a reaction to that. And their reaction might be to punch you in the face. And so then now you got punched in the face. So now your reaction is, well, I'm going to punch you back. And all of a sudden you're in a fight because you came up and said something without really thinking, right? It's those kind of things. So it's really about taking that step back and recognizing these are my automatic thoughts. This is what's going on with me. This is why I don't want to do this because every time I go down those roads, it always leads me to places I don't want to be. And that's why small, and the reason why I chose 1% per day, 15 minutes a day is because in 15 minutes, five minutes gives you the ability, even two minutes gives you the ability to slow down, take a breath and change the course of what you're, what's going to happen. All it takes is going like this. I'm about to say something. I'm like, wait, hold on. That took five seconds. That was five seconds. That's enough to stop me from saying something that I'll regret. You do that a hundred times a day and you've now made your life what you want your life to be instead of just, oh, wow, I can't believe that came out of my mouth. Oops. <laughs> And when you were talking about your personal story, mm -hmm. I uh, I could relate to uh, a lot of it, and yeah. uh, and that's why I do this too to get these people's stories out there so people don't know yeah. they're alone. So, how important is it to share personal stories? I think sharing personal story is the most important thing that you can do because it allows you and it allows others to not to only recognize that you are not alone because that is really what it is because although we have all this technology that says it connects us and makes us more connected than ever it actually makes us more disconnected than ever because instead of going to a high school reunion and seeing people in person you're like i don't gotta go i've they're my friends on facebook i've liked their pictures i know exactly what's going on in their life i don't need to worry about it right and that's part of the problem is We've become the point where we don't really know our neighbors anymore, where we are social animals still. So the fact that we don't know our neighbors, the fact that we don't know the people around us, the fact that most of the people that most that most of the people I know live in California, South Dakota, or on the East Coast. I know a handful of people in Colorado. I've been living here now for about five years. My family's here, so I know them, but that's the thing, right? Is we're so disconnected because, but yet we've been tricked into believing we're more connected than ever. And because of that, 
we now don't share our stories because it used to be we lived in a group of 25 people. At the end of the evening, we'd huddle around a campfire. We would talk about our day with everybody, with the entire group. We would all share our what went right, what went wrong, what didn't go well. And then we'd all talk about what we could do to fix it. And that is the core thing that we need to do again as a species if we want to continue to survive, because this disconnection hurt us. And no more was it more prevalent was than when COVID happened and when yeah. we could not interact with each other, when we had to stay away. It became this thing where we then started reaching out using the technology for good to connect and do those things. But now it's been about three years after, and now that's all started to die off and we're all starting yeah. to get back to business as usual. But the problem is, is that business as usual in those moments during COVID, we knew that this was what it needed to be. But yet we also can't help it because life, the way it's designed right now on this planet, is designed to keep us separated and isolated through the technology that we have. Because the more connected we are, the more we start, we start actually starting to realize that, wait a minute, things are kind of screwed up. I don't really like the way things are going right now. And if too many of us believe that, well, then change happens. And what is the one thing that human beings hate? We hate change. So part of it's us and part of it's just the society that we live in. What are some of the things that motivate you? I, I love seeing people change. I love watching them go from that moment of, I can't do this, to then starting the process of doing it. Like, so I work with a lot of military veterans in because I live in Colorado Springs and there's like five different bases yeah. here. So it's mostly military around here. And one of my favorite clients that I've been seeing now for two years took him seven months to begin to journal. He wouldn't do it. He didn't trust me. He didn't believe the process. He didn't think I knew what I was talking about because he had lots of doctors before. So, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm a therapist. But so I sat down with him and I worked with him and I just listened to him. I asked him all the time, hey, did you journal? No, I didn't journal. Okay. So we talked about that. And we do this for like about seven months. And finally, one day he decided, okay, I'm going to journal. So he journaled, came in and asked me, did you do that to make me feel stupid? I'm like, no, I didn't do it to make you feel stupid. I just wanted you to see what your brain kept telling you to act on. He's like, well, I did. And it was stupid. I'm like, okay, well, that's a good sign. What do you think about that? He's like, well, I wrote some more afterwards and I decided I'm not going to do the thing. And I'm like, okay, good. And what did you find out? It made my life a lot easier. <laughs> now he wants to write a book. Crazy, right? Took him seven months to want to do that. And then he began religiously journaling every day for about 15 minutes, got the, got the stuff out of his head. He was able to process things. He's closer to his wife. He's closer to his daughter. He's able to be more open with his family and friends because he's able to now recognize the story he's telling himself. And he's able to call it for what it is, which is it's a lie. It's not real. It's a fabrication. It's fear telling you that this is not going to go well. And really, most of the time, if you give people a chance, they're willing to be there for you. But we often don't do that because of, we're afraid that I don't want to be a burden to other people. But that's the biggest lie we tell ourselves. You have people in your life that love you and want to support you if you give them a chance. And the only way that you can give them a chance is 
you have to know what you need. And the only way to do that is you got to figure out what this is telling you. You got to figure out the story. And that's what the process is, is it's learning how to differentiate between these different stories. And it's recognizing how you can take this stuff that is going on inside of you and use it then as a way to get out of your own way. Because we are the cause of our own suffering. Yeah. That is the biggest thing that you think you try to blame other people, but it, it's you. Yeah. The story you tell yourself is is the is the problem. And that's the thing is it's the you have to understand the story. You have to. Until you do that, you're not going to change. And that's the hard thing. Because that story is scary. Because I have because all of us have been, been told the story. I've been told the story since the day I was born. Because when I was born, I weighed one pound fifteen ounces. I should not be here. That's the story I was told. I am one in a billion because that's the story I was told. Because when I was in there, I was in there for six months. I had pneumonia a bunch of times. I got down to about one pound, nine ounces, all these different things. They gave me tons of experimental treatments that killed other that killed other babies because they were trying to save them. All these different things. And I didn't like it. I didn't accept it. I didn't take it. Somehow I survived. But not only did I survive, but I also didn't have all the other problems that the other kids that survived did. I didn't have muscle problems, bone problems, lung problems. The only thing I have is I can't really hear good out of one ear. That's it. Literally, I'm super lucky. That's the story I was told my whole life. So that's the story I took with me into school. Oh, I'm special because I shouldn't be here. Well, the other kids really didn't like that very much. And that began the bullying part. And they bullied me for being too thin. I had no control over that. My mom is really thin. It's part of my genetics. But that's what happens, right? When it comes to the bullying aspect of things, it's often about the bully, not about you. They will find any reason to bully you. They'll bully you for being too fat, too thin, for having an accent, for not having an accent, for for what you wear, for what you don't wear. They'll bully you for any reason because it's not about you. But the hard thing is, is what else is more personal than somebody coming after you? And so that's been the hardest process is really breaking out of the stories that were then that I then created for myself about what that meant about me by being bullied. And it was really hard because it was so twisted up in friendship. So I had to really learn what real friendship was versus what I thought friendship was because of the way my bullying happened. Where do you want to see your mission, say, in the next three to five years? I would like to have helped thousands of people and have tons of people in my program so that they can understand that they can make the changes that they want, that they are the change that they want, that all it takes is them believing enough in themselves and following this system and then asking for help and doing the things that are necessary just a little bit each day to improve their life. That's what I want for people. Because I lived for 38 years feeling depressed, anxious, burned out, sad, frustrated, lonely, isolated, all of these things. It is, I'm now 47. So it's taken me the last decade to really break out of that and to find who I am, what I am, and be okay with me in every single aspect to where I recognize and realize it's not my job to make 
people like me. They either do or they don't. But that story still lives there. It still comes up. I can now recognize it that fast. So now I can stop the story before it gets its hooks in me. Sometimes it still does because this is a process. And it's one of those things that as you continue, all this stuff is a process. But if you have the right tools, you can always go back. And I relearn stuff all the time. I mean, I've spent 47 years on this planet. 23 of those years I've spent doing and being a therapist. And the other, you know, 30, 47 years, I've also spent being in therapy, learning therapy, studying therapy, understanding all of these different things, because I need to understand how I can be the best version of myself. Because as far as I know, this is the only chance I get. I don't know what comes next. So I don't want to live my life looking back saying, I regret not having done these things. I want to help as many people as I can. That is what my mission is. Because humanity deserves it. People deserve it. You deserve to not feel bad every day. You deserve to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm okay. I am okay the way I am. I am doing the best that I can. And even if I don't do the best that I can, I can still do the best that I can tomorrow. That's the best thing about it is there's ne- it's never too late to change. Right. I have people in my practice from 20 to 75 during therapy. 20 to 75, that is a massive age gap. I have people trying to change. I've worked in hospice care. And at the end of people's lives, I spent working time with them. They never said, boy, I wish I would have not taken that trip. Boy, I wish I would have worked more. Boy, I wish I would have not spent as much time with my family. Boy, you know, it was always, I should have taken them. I should have taken the trip. I should have spent more time with my family. I should have told people how I felt about them. I should have done all these things because living a life and having a life of regret is, is really, really horrible. It's sad and it's hard and it's painful. How can people reach out to you and learn more? Sure. So if you're feeling stuck and you feel like you're failing in several areas of your life, I want you to know that you can make a change in 100 days. The key is to focus on renovating these four main areas of your life, your time, your connections, your emotions, and your purpose. That is what small changes, big impact, the 1% per day transformational system is designed to do. By taking accountability and learning these 30 different psychological tools and using these tools to make small changes in those four areas in 15 minutes a day, your life will be unrecognizable in three months. So if you want to make a change and you're tired of feeling stuck, you can reach out to me at smallchangesbigimpact.net backslash info. And on the website, you'll get more information, link to a free 20-minute training on how to beat burnout, or you can also just set up a call and talk to me. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at smallchanges.the4 and the letter U.